Have you ever met one of those people who just can't be stopped? It's like they're unstoppable. Yeah, I have. Me too. What's their mystique? Nothing stops these people. Welcome to Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso. You're about to meet some of the most amazing people. They've accomplished their goals despite insurmountable odds. They beat adversity, physical hardship, and traumatic events and emerge triumphantly. They're people just like you and me, and they're winners. Are you unstoppable? Here's Frankie to show you how. So let me welcome you to the show. But first, I'd like to say, um, hi, everybody. Frankie McCasso's, you don't know who I am. Anyway, most days, I'm willing to bet that most of you or us don't give a thought about brain health. Certainly not the top consideration that it deserves. As you're picking up your dinner at the grocery store, do you ever think about the workout you're going to give your brain today? Unlike you think about hitting the gym, running, cycling, any of the other things that we do to strengthen our heart, our lungs, our muscles. In fact, I bet unless you're pregnant over 50, play football, hockey, worry about concussions, suffered a brain injury, or live with a neurological disease like Parkinson's, or you had a stroke, it's not something you actively think about. But joining me today are one right now, maybe two brain experts, colleagues and co-authors who might have you reconsidering that which you haven't considered. With me right now is Dr. Daniel Monty. He is the founding director and the CEO of the Marcus Institute of Integrative Health and the founding chair of the Department of Integrative Medicine and Nutritional Sciences at the Thomas Jefferson University Medical College in Philadelphia. That is a mouthful. I know. <laughs> <laughs> His research focuses on assessing promising mind-body interventions and brain mechanisms of stress and emotional regulation and is the co-author of the popular book, Tapestry of Health. Joining us soon, maybe, is Dr. Andrew Newberg. He's the research director of the Marcus Institute of Integrative Health and the rest of all that. And he's also a professor there. And he's the author of 10 books, including the bestseller, How God Changes Your Brain. And he is regarded as one of the most influential neuroscientists working today. And the two doctors uh, hopefully will join us. And they're going to speak about their newest book, Brain Weaver. It just came out this May, Creating the Fabric for a Healthy Mind Through Integrative Medicine an essential guide to help you keep your brain as healthy as possible for as long as possible. First, I want to thank you, Dr. Mani, um, on writing Brain Weaver, because it's exactly the type of book we didn't know that we needed. And you did it in a way that um, wasn't doctor speak. It's very, very reader friendly for anybody. Uh, so kudos on that. And well, I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and just before I get into it, I just wanted to say that it's through the philanthropy of um, Bernie Marcus, the co-founder of Home Depot, whose charity founded the Marcus Institute of Integrative Health. Um, he also gave the forward in the book. And so would you say it's kind of fair to say that through his generosity, um, it's allowed you guys to kind of play and, and, and come up with, you know, a lot of the integrative therapies that you have um, when it comes to the brain? Yeah, definitely. Um, I would take it even a, a step beyond that, really, because what we have at, at the medical college at Thomas Jefferson University is the first ever Department of Integrative Medicine. That's, it's the as you said, the mouthful, Integrative Medicine and Nutritional Sciences, because we do a lot of nutrition with what we do. But, you know, it is now a specialty department. It sits alongside dermatology, OBGYN, surgery, medicine, and now integrative medicine. And this is a historic first. And because of the Marcus Foundation and Mr. Marcus, we were able to do many clinical trials and develop our model of care. And they allowed us when we um, built our new facility a few years ago to purchase one of the best pieces of brain imaging equipment available in the world. Few wow. people have it. It's an integrated PET MRI. PET stands for positron emission tomography. And then um, the best MRI technology is with it. And what that does, what it allows us to do is have the best anatomic picture of the brain and nervous system and body, along with visualizing the function of the brain and the nervous system and the rest of the body. So that when we do some of the integrative therapies that we talk about in Brain Weaver and in our other books. We show people in that book, the pre-post brain scans, the pre-post body scans, so that you can see when you actually take care of your brain, the way that we talk about in Brain Weaver, it can make a huge difference. 
in the way the brain looks and in the way the brain talks to itself and in the way the brain talks to the rest of the body. It's absolutely fascinating. And the pictures, you know, I mean, a picture's worth a thousand words, right? Yeah. And, and I looked at that and I thought, the, the saying, I looked at the creative brain and I went, it's on fire. And it literally is on fire because you got the left and the right hemisphere with all that red in between because they have to meld a little bit and just going, the sparks are just coming off like you're firing on all cylinders. It's crazy. See it. And you know what? And you know what? I'll, and you know what's not happening? So that's perfect. That's exactly what's going on. And what's not happening when we really engage our creative brain is that the distress part of the brain isn't as loud. So when we engage in some of these behaviors that we know are healthy for the brain, like creative expression, whatever it is for you, even spirituality, the brain actually acts differently. And those distress circuits in the brain calm down and other areas of the brain that are actually health promoting amp up. Well, I wasn't going to take us down this path yet. <laughs> and I was thinking Sorry. about it, but now that we're here, I have to ask you because um, I was in a hospital for six months. I had a really bad motorcycle accident and, you know, I've suffered with chronic pain now for the last 18 years, but I tell people, if you want to get beyond your pain, you have to do something that's kind of creative where you you're outside of your brain now and the, and you, you don't even feel your pain anymore. So like a puzzle or, or something that, you know, takes a lot of concentration, um, not just reading, but, but really creating something artwork some music, anything that, that really, you know, is such a narrow focus in a way that nothing else is, is there except what you're doing. And, it, and all that pain, it just goes away. It's like, well, it's there, but it's in the background. It is the perfect advice to give people. It actually coincides very closely with the data that we've been able to gather for our clinical trials. So different types of things do accomplish this. So you, we mentioned art, artistic expression, engaging and things like that. Really what we're trying to do is create space between us and the outside world. That, in that space, you can put creativity, spiritual exercises, meditation. All of those things have a big impact. And in fact, our, our studies that um, look at when people meditate, for example, uh, when they engage in mindfulness or mindfulness-based stress reduction, big changes. Because again, this is a focused activity that allows you to create some space between you and whatever it is that's distressing you. That mm -hmm. space is so necessary so that you are not, so that the distress isn't the only thing being amplified in the brain. Right. And uh, we, we have studies and we show this, the brain scans whether people pray, whether people meditate, whether people engage in you know, serious artistic expression, like you said, really sort of putting your whole self into it, big impact. Well, I'm just gonna read a little excerpt that I took from the book because um, I, you just said something that was really interesting. So you do, you're, it is integrative and you talk about the spirituality and the social aspect and you know, um, the, the creative aspect and all, all the, you know, this integrated brain really. So in the spiritual brain, when you talk about the spirituality of the brain or the spiritual, um, you have a study that shows that people who attend church most often have the lowest rate of anxiety and depression. And there was another study by a Dr. Lisa Miller in adolescence as well, who attended church. And most often they had a lower risk of depression, substance abuse, and suicide. Now I'm thinking part of that is birds of a feather, you feel comfortable when you're with people who think alike. But yes. the other part of that is, do you know that you're not alone? There's a, there's a God yes. looking after things. And what else is, what is the other, like the spark there that, that lowers that incidence of depression? Those are two big things. Again, we don't know exactly, but from the data that there's there, those are two big things. One, we're talking about things that are outside ourselves. And, and in a way, um, all of this conversation is about how do you get outside yourself a little bit yeah. so that you're not caught up in the script going on inside of your brain and that script and the emotions associated with getting more and more amplified. So the two, th two things you mentioned there, um, going to church regularly or whatever your religious worship is, synagogue, whatever, that provides a sense of community. Mm -hmm. And so that, that experience of others, as you said, like-minded others who you're connecting to, is very helpful and it's very important for the brain. The brain is hardwired to be in community. 
that's oh, part of okay. our survival. That's, that's one of the reasons um, it's so important. The other thing is we are hardwired to think about something outside of ourselves. That's why Dr. Newberg's original book was something called like, you know, uh, why God won't go away. It's because we're hardwired to think about something outside of ourselves. So in a way, we're engaging in these parts of the brain that are important and again, allow us to be detached from our, our stressors, even if for short moments of time. The other thing is there's something very powerful about ritual. And um, one of the things that I tell people when they realize, yeah, I need to sort of re-engage in spirituality in some way. And for me, spirituality is whatever, you know, it is meaningful for you, whatever creates meaning outside of yourself. And for people who were brought up in a religious tradition, I sometimes encourage them, unless they had a really bad experience with it, because it's familiar, you know, maybe there's something you can find back in that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I sort of find religion now sort of like our political system, you know, <laughs> even, if, even if we're talking about something like, you know, the Catholic church, there's the really conservative branch, there's yeah. the more progressive groups. I'm like, find your niche in whatever it is. If you were, if you were raised Catholic, if you were raised Lutheran, if you were raised Jewish, you know, like yeah. if there's a way that you can connect to a community you have familiarity with the rituals, then they, they remind you of, of things that then engage you and engage your brain in something outside of itself. Well, you mentioned in there in the book about the nun um, whose brain scan showed because her meditation practices that her actual sense of self went away, which is very interesting. Yeah. So, and like, and you talk about when you give like charitably yes. um, with, from generosity, not just because it looks good on the right. books. Um, there's that, that, that piece of your brain that likes that. That's you right. It, you know, being altruistic. And that's why sometimes, you know, for some people, um, uh, you know, their religious community works for them because it engages those areas of the brain to do things for others, to be charitable. Although some people say, you know, I, I don't want to go back to my church, but I want to do, okay, there's lots of ways you can give uh, back. There's lots of ways you can engage in helping the community if you don't want to do it through that particular right. route, but you're, you're doing positive things for the brain because in a way that sort of altruism is very powerful. And, you know, I was asked the question, uh, we were doing a, 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 a pre-launch webcast uh, for, the, for the book and uh, the, the moderator said, you know, well, what do you do? Meaning me. And I was like, oh, I'm on the spot. And I have to say <laughs> that, um, you know, whether it's meditation or prayer, you know, for me, what really works is to remind myself of all the things I have gratitude for. That's a good and one. when I do that, the, the, the voice of all the things that distress me gets smaller and smaller. And, you know, uh, uh, you know, different things work for different people. Another Absolutely. thing that works for a lot of people is to, along with these things, because we don't have to do just one thing, we can be spiritual, creative. And uh, the other thing is, you know, we're smiling and being light with one another. That is huge. We are in such a heavy time right now. Right. And it's been heavy for a year and a half for lots of reasons. And so that heaviness, but to be able to, I tell, I was telling people like, even if it's on a zoom call, connect with your friends and laugh. Yeah. Like that is a different area of the brain than the area of the brain that's feeling distress. And you mentioned pain. There've been studies in pain populations where when they actually have like comedy night and humor and, and mm -hmm. periods of time where they can really just let go and laugh, that has huge effects on their distress associated with the pain. Yeah. Yeah. I can totally see that. I can totally see that. The, it's, it's a, such an interesting thing because you talk about being, the brain is social and yet there's many people who like to be alone and, and are they alone with their thoughts? Is that like being with somebody? I don't know. But so what about those people? Yeah. How, how does their brain work? You know, there are you know, different personality styles. And of course, um, you know, a lot of work has been done. Uh, we've all heard the terms introversion versus extroversion. And there is something to all of that uh, right. based upon all of the data. What that means, though, is that, you know, you derive your energy from sort of finding alone periods of time to recharge versus recharging when you're amongst others. But having social connection is still important, whether or not you're an introvert or an extrovert. And so 
you know, many people who classify themselves as an introvert still have, you know, people right. that are feeling, you know, psychologically comfortable still have strong social support systems. They just like smaller groups. Right. They like more one-on-one -on -one lunches versus a big lunch with all of their friends kind of right. thing. Right. So right. it isn't that they're completely isolated. That's a very, very small group of people that prefer that. And oftentimes there's other issues when that's the case. Yeah, this has been a really tough year for a lot of people. And, and I, I especially felt it because I, I am an extrovert and I do like to be around, you know, people. And even like even just yesterday, I had such a heaviness. And, and I talked to other people. Yesterday was a heavy day for a lot of people for some reason. Um, They're feeling very sad. But it's been the isolation. I think that's the biggest yeah. part of that. And so our brain, you know, creative in other ways, but even I found my creativity and the passion for things were waning because of being less social. Yes. The isolation really takes its toll. And on top of that, it's just one of the things compounding the stress that we feel. You know, stress isn't just a vague concept. And one of the things that we talk about in Brainweaver is the biology of stress so that people understand it, this has nothing to do with, are you a weak person or a strong person? Stress is stress. And if there's too much of it, it's gonna take its toll on, its, on your nervous system and hence the whole rest of your body because your nervous system connects with everything, including your immune cells. So we know from many, many studies that people who are more distressed are more prone to getting infections and doing worse if they have an illness versus people who are less distressed. So stress just simply is a part of the nervous system. Now we need some stress. And also we're hardwired to feel stress for survival purposes. Yeah. If we think about like the autonomic nervous system, it's the part of the nervous system we don't have to think about. There's the, the two main branches that, you know, many people may have studied. I'll just remind you, there's the fight or flight that activates you when there's some perceived threat to your well-being. Doesn't mean that it's, you know, life-threatening, just a perceived threat to your well-being right. puts you in fight or flight mode. Then there's the restoration and recuperation mode, which we need when we relax, when we're connecting to our loved ones, when we sleep, when we're at ease, when we're laughing, you know, those kinds of things, right? So we need the balance. We need a lot of that restoration and recuperation, but when we're in a time like we just experienced, very hard to get there because a lot of the tools that people had to get into restoration and recuperation, like you were saying, connecting with others, you know, those are gone uh, go. for a period of time. And then think about this, this activation is a survival reason, but it's supposed to be short lived. So if, uh, you know, back in time, you were in the jungle and you saw a lion in the distance that would put you into fight or flight mode. If you were smart flight, and you'd find a tree and uh, the lion would go away. Yeah. The threat is gone. Your nervous system relaxes. You go off and do what you need to be doing. But the lions of yesterday are replaced today by a pandemic. And what about the- Not getting money. You work from home. Your job, your, your business just went yes. out. All of those things, people that you're concerned about that might be vulnerable if they get sick and- um, What's happening with my income and what's happening with uh, yeah. my, you know, homeschooling, or if you have kids in college, like what's going to be going on? Like there was so much uncertainty. Yeah. Our brain doesn't like uncertainty. That is actually distressing. So, so the stress never stopped. And then people are saying, ah, I don't know. I gained weight, even though I wasn't eating differently. This is a very common thing I heard because really? it's part of the stress response. When we're when we're under stress, we conserve energy and it, it, many people gained weight. Okay. Many yeah. people gained yeah. weight during the pandemic. It wasn't okay. just that they were stress eating, the extra cortisol right. um, going on in their system was contributing right. to that. Okay. So okay. Just so the much. pandemic 15 or 20. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. That's so interesting. And, you know, as you were talking, what came to mind too, was the brain is so interesting in that it, it doesn't, it doesn't differentiate between the scary movie and the adrenaline, the fight or flight or reality. So the opposite is also true then for the happiness and the social, you can trick the brain, right? You can trick That's the right. brain into feeling those feel good feelings too. If you can That's trick right. it, if you get scared by watching TV, you can be happy same time. Yeah. You know, I'm not so into, um, 
you know, television programming that puts you into fight or flight, because I think we have enough of it right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so I tell people, you know, maybe limit how much news you watch because yes. the news networks want to keep you in fight or flight. They want you to think that everything is the end of the world every Doom. day. Yeah, chicken little. You know, um, a senator said this, end of the world. Yeah. <laughs> a yeah, congressman yeah. said this, end of the world. <laughs> yeah. When really it's not. And, um, yeah. and yeah. so catch ups, sure. But that's about 15 minutes. The rest yeah. is just people's opinions on the news all day long, all day long, all day repeat, long. Repeat, repeat, repeat. Making you all in fight or flight. And the other thing is like, this is not the time to be watching, you know, the kind of stuff that's really going to put you in that ultra frightened, ultra activated mode. Yeah. If you're already distressed, watch things that make you feel good. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, when you, you know, do things that make you smile, talk to people that, that allow you to have sort of a lightheartedness, which I bet you're really good at because I feel myself being lighthearted talking Aww. to you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, I, you know, it's so funny. I talked to a girlfriend this morning and, and I, I was telling her about your book and she goes, oh, wow. So, so I go, but of course there's a diet. <laughs> <laughs> so you do have a diet in the book. The brain has a diet that, that's yeah. good for it. And if you want to have this longevity of, of a brain, then you've got to integrate all of these wonderful things. You have to be happy and you have to be social and you have to have a diet. And the diet is, you know, lessens the inflammation, but it also feeds the brain. Yeah, yeah we have to feed the nervous system with the nutrients it needs. And we want to minimize the stuff that's going to be toxic to the brain. And listen, it's not that you have to be perfect all the time. I, you know, the things that we're talking about go a long way. If we think about um, inflammation and inflammation spurs the disease processes of everything we worry about once we yeah. hit adulthood, you know, including cognitive decline, you know, there's inflammation we can control and inflammation we can't, but some of the inflammation we can control um, is in the form of stress. That's why it's so important. How we navigate life and the stressors in life, so important, but also what we eat. And when we eat excessive amounts of inflammatory foods, and these are oftentimes the processed foods with a lot of extra fat and sugar in them. Which we go to just, when we're depressed and upset. Right. And we're, you know, when we were, you know, confined to home, you kind of want the comfort food as you're just sitting yeah. there watching news all day is saying how bad chart? everything is. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess it's time for a cookie to make me feel better. And then another cookie and then another cookie. And yeah. so I think that, um, you know, now that we're kind of coming out of that and uh, the world is looking a little more hopeful and those kinds of things, then, you know, it's never too late, by the way. What we find from our studies is from short interventions, the body changes. You know, we're doing a study right now um, with, uh, with one of our colleagues in, uh, in the cancer center. And what she's done a lot of work with calories and we're looking at different types of diets, but really even after a few days of strictly doing the right thing, the body starts to respond to it. And some of the tumor markers change in the positive direction, things you know, it isn't like all is lost because you might've had a few months where you let things slip. That's okay. Right. Yeah. Pick it back up. You don't have to be all or nothing. All isn't lost if you were pretty good all week, but you had a bad day. Then so is it true though, or not true? Is it a myth that your brain will stop you from losing weight? Like what, and why would it? Like if you're trying really hard and you're not like, is it the brain? It, it usually is. There, there's so many factors involved. The brain when the, when the brain is highly distressed, then we have um, stress um, hormones being released that make it hard mm. to lose weight. It actually, you kind of hold on to weight sometimes right. when you're really distressed. It's right. just something that happens as a hormonal reaction, which is why stress reduction is part of the overall picture of maintaining a good body weight. Yeah. And then we also want to sort of minimize those inflammatory fatty foods and eat as many plants as you can. Yeah. You know, you have to be a vegan. No, but you want to like get those plant nutrients into you. I think a right. lot of people just don't eat any. Yeah. And I like I tell true. people one meal a day, can you make a salad or one meal a day? Can you make a smoothie? Yeah. That makes huge differences. Yeah. In yeah. I have a smoothie every morning, but you know, it, it, the news, scary salads to have E. coli now, right? You go, Oh my God, I can't even eat lettuce. It's like, it's crazy. But what I found really interesting, um, and I sent it to somebody right away, was you talk about depression and that 
probiotics can help lessen depression because it's in the gut. It's all coming from your gut. So how exciting is that, that you might even be able, without medication, be able to take a probiotic, even a prebiotic, I don't know, but probiotics for sure in, in lessen your depression. So this gut brain connection is something that people are doing a lot of work on right now, because, you know, one thing that I, I, I often like try to glitch up the medical students when I'm working with them. I, because, you know, uh, when you get out of the, uh, uh, the basic science years and you're out in the clinic, you sometimes don't link the basic science to the clinical. And so I often say, you know, what's the biggest immune organ in the body? And they might be like the spleen or the bone marrow. And I'm like, those are big, but there's something even bigger. And that's your gut. Your gut has immune tissue all throughout it. And that immune tissue can get hyperreactive, which can cause inflammatory responses based upon what the state of the rest of the gut is. And so what we put in our gut matters. And also that gut microbiome that we hear so much about, what does that really mean? It's the invisible layer of microbes, of microbes that really is the protective barrier between you and the outside world. Um, because we're taking in all types of pathogens and all types of things all the time that that gut microbiome protects us from. That gut microbiome also has other functions like converting uh, vitamins into their activated form and also contributes to how tight the junctions are along the cells of the gut wall to kind of prevent that leaky gut, so prevent toxins from coming in and things like that. So that microbiome is important. What, what you mentioned two words, probiotics and prebiotics. I like to make sure that people know what those are because they're important. Because the um, microbiome is so important, sometimes when you really are in a dysregulated state, I tell people, go ahead and take a probiotic to kind of get that back and track and then maintain it with prebiotics. What are prebiotics? Prebiotics are basically think of them as fiber. Those, those microbes feed on the fiber and when they don't have enough of it, they feed on you. And that's mm -hmm. part of the gut irritation people mm -hmm. often have because we have this thin sort of like layer in the gut that has sugar on it that they'll, that they need, they need food. And so that, uh, that fiber that kind of, you know, we used to just think it was a bulking agent to help you have regular bowel movements, but we actually need it mm -hmm. for, uh, for the gut microbiome. So I always say, eat lots of fiber along with, and you know, you don't have to worry about taking in a lot of fiber if you take the advice of eating a, a nice plant dense meal every day, because you're getting good fiber in that. Right, yeah. Okay, so it used to be okay, um, yogurt used to be okay, now, dairy's off the table, but I mean, I still eat Greek yogurt every day because it's got 17 grams of protein in it, which I think is pretty, pretty good. Yeah. And I like it, but I use zero fat yogurt. I don't know if that makes a difference, but makes a difference. Does it? It does. So here's the thing with dairy. You know, it's a different story depending upon who you are and what your genetics are. Um, there are some people who do okay with dairy and there's some people who really struggle with dairy. And, and it's because there's different components of dairy that can cause different types of problems. So many people don't know it, but up to 60% of US adults start to have problems with the lactose. Mm -hmm. And so then you get the gassiness, the bloating or whatever, and, you're, and your gut is unhappy when you're taking in the lactose and you're losing lactase, the enzyme that breaks it down. Another issue with dairy, you mentioned the fat-free, the fat in dairy is very inflammatory because it's the same, it's biochemically the same as the fat at the end of a pork chop, you know, like you, right. I like to cut that off, you know, like, yeah, you know, you exactly. want to like minimize that kind <laughs> like of animal fat, you know, <laughs> and you, you know, that's why when people have dairy, I'm like, well, you know, if, if, if you feel like you do fine with dairy and dairy doesn't bother you, then fat-free definitely is the way to go because that fat is very inflammatory. Right. Um, and so the other thing is excessive amounts of even the protein might be inflammatory too, but I'm talking about excessive amounts. Yeah. So I think that people find their way here on this. Yeah. One. Because plant, you know, I mean, a lot of people have problems with the beans, in, yes. you know, right? The gas Absolutely. and the beans, uh, cabbage, you know, there's uh, broccoli, those, those, that family, people have problems with that too. So you eat what you can eat, I guess, and, and you just do the best you can. Right? right. And back to sort of the gut microbiome, when you have kind of a balanced microbiome, 
you find that you can tolerate some things that were harder to digest before, right? Because you need, you need that intact. Sometimes I have people take digestive enzymes for a little while. And things that are harsh, they're just harsh. Like, you know, like raw broccoli, not everyone can eat. Right. So a lot of people really need to at least steam that broccoli and then chop it up yeah. so that you can digest it better. And the same is true of cabbage. Kale too, I find it really hard. Yeah, so kale, kale is variable, you know, but those are all cruciferous vegetables and yeah. they're important. You need those cruciferous vegetables, particularly, you know, they help actually with hormonal balance as we age and things like that. So we want them, they have really good things in them, but we have to find a way to eat them. And so some people need to saute or, or, or steam or blanch things. And, you know, especially the harsher ones. Yeah. Whereas yeah. other things digest very easily, like other leafy greens. What about, um, I, I mean, I was reading about liposomal vitamin C that you get more actually active ingredient in the liposomal vitamin C than you do if you just take a tablet. Is that true? We don't know exactly. One of the things that I would say is that vitamin C tends to absorb fairly well um, for most people, one, and two, no matter how much of it you take and in any form, there is a limit on what your system will absorb because it's tightly regulated. Okay. So the thing of it is, is, you know, I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, I, uh, you know, my, uh, like my, I, I have a family member, for example, who was having sort of this chronic low-grade infectious thing. So I wanted him to take a lot of vitamin C every day. And it really, once he took a high enough dose, then that was, he was that absorbing was as much as he's going to absorb really. And, you know, we, we do, we use vitamin C in our clinical trials. We find that really any oral form of it, you're only going to absorb so much of it because there's such tight regulation in the gut when we need a higher amount than that, then we infuse it um, to get the, the response that we want because we have to bypass the gut. Right. So right. I say, you know, vitamin C, if your gut is fairly well functioning, it, it shouldn't matter that much. Okay. Okay. Let's do a myth buster. Okay. Pregnancy brain. Are you really, do you forget everything? Uh, so the thing about pregnancy brain and other uh, different states is when hormones, um, you know, go awry and when you have major shifts in hormones, it affects the brain in the way the brain thinks. Okay. So I think that um, it, it's different for different people. Some people, they don't notice anything, but some people see the hormonal shifts aren't as dramatic as they are for other people. Right. Right. Okay. Um, and I had a friend I was speaking to today who um, went through cancer treatment yep. and she goes, my brain is like fried. Chemo brain. Like, uh, yeah. Chemo brain. So that's a real thing. It's a real thing. Chemo brains are real. Does it come yeah. back? Like how long does it take? Yeah. It often comes back and we have been doing different types of studies on nutrient-based therapies. We also find that actually a combination of dealing with stress, getting the, getting the brain quiet and making sure the brain is well fed often does a lot. So your and diet would doing... help be helpful for yes. her. Okay. Perfect. The um, trauma. Okay. So trauma crisis, PTSD kind of thing. I noticed that I'm missing quite a, I didn't have a brain injury per se, but I had a trauma. Um, I'm missing pieces of memory. Like, I just don't, my kids go, don't you remember that? I go, no, I don't, don't remember it at all. I can remember childhood. I can remember certain times, but certain years just previous to that, no, not so much. So is that trauma do that to the brain? Yes. So um, we have in, we show the pre-post brain scans. We did a study on traumatic stress and we show the pre-post brain scans in Brain Weaver. And actually in the other yeah, I book that. I did this year, Tapestry of Health, I actually show those uh, brain scans as well, because that's a more global health uh, book and um, traumatic stress affects the brain. It affects the body. So what we mean by traumatic stress is a highly distressing event that it still is causing distress in your life a long time after it happened. Okay. So what we found, what's that? It fits. (laughs) What we found is that, you know, we used um, a technique that we were studying called the neuroemotional technique, which is a mind-body intervention. We talk a lot about it in the book. Yeah. There's a website for it. There's, you know, there's uh, 
there's a form of it you can do yourself, but for the really big events, we recommend you do it with somebody who is really experienced and certified in that intervention. But we found in three to five sessions of a big event that people had for a long, long time, it, the, the brain changed dramatically. And not only did the brain change, how the person felt changed. Okay. So are so there things, you what can happened do? To there's them. things you can do? Okay. So, but let's, let, I'd like to carry that just through a second. Yeah. So after that, the physical, like the brain changed, but what physically happened for them? Like, who were they after? They came back as their a former personality or like, so what, what did these they are, do? these are the objective things that we measured. Um, we looked at the brain, but then we looked at what does that correlate with? So mm -hmm. we looked at mood scores, anxiety scores, distress scores, what related to the event, but just globally. And all of those things changed. And okay. in addition, the body's reaction to cues of the distressing event changed. So when we had people hooked up to biofeedback and they were given a script or a cue of what had happened, they go into that fight or flight mode that I talked about. After the intervention, when it was effective, and it was for most of the people who got it, that didn't happen, which means their whole body changed. So where is that available? <laughs> I'm signing up right now. <laughs> so um, we, uh, we, we put the website um, in the book, and I'll tell you what it is now for, for if you're looking for a practitioner, it's um, netmindbody.com. And we also show you in the book a way to sort of do it for, for those smaller events yourself. You kind of need a practitioner for the bigger ones because right. it's hard to be, <laughs> it's hard to be in both roles when you're, when you get into the deep emotion of some of those things that happen. Right. And it's really a mind body intervention. You know, it's based upon principles of cognitive psychology, but also based in the energy circuits of the body. Right. Right. Okay. Very cool. Let's talk about, because people want to do this all the time, how to change your brain, how to change your thoughts. And I talk, you know, to them about the little deer path, you know, you, you want to make a big change. And so you have to start thinking differently, but it takes a while for that brain synapse to go to that as, as the first thought instead of the old thought being the first thought. That's right. With me, right. Right. Um, how long does that take for that little deer path to become a deep rut and become the next first thought? It's a, this, this is a great question. And it's something that we think a lot about because what you're really talking about is how do you change the brain's communication with itself? And these are neurological pathways. We look mm -hmm. at these neurological pathways when we're doing the functional neuroimaging. And we know that the way the brain communicates with itself can change and it can change in a dramatic way. And it depends upon if you're doing it in this way where you're doing those cognitive exercises, which are really critical, really important. And if you have a little booster help by doing interventions like the neuroemotional technique, because we've seen the pathways change. Now, some of those old scripts, I like to call them, yeah, those the things that we tell ourselves that we're not even realizing we're saying it. One of the things that even when I'm doing the neuroemotional technique with people, when we get to some sort of pivotal place, I'll be like, okay, right now, what are you saying to yourself about yourself mm -hmm. in regard to this? Because it's usually something terrible. Very negative. Yeah. And Brutal. when we got to shine the spotlight on these things that we're saying to ourselves about ourselves, the ugly things that we're saying to ourselves about ourselves, the more we shine the spotlight on them, then the more with our adult rational, because they're usually from, you know, things that aren't, aren't about today, you know, they're, they're about an unfair teacher or a bad parent or something like that, you know, yeah. but like, when so we shine the spotlight on the things we're saying to ourselves about ourselves, then our adult logical cognitive brain can step in and say, but is that true? Mm -hmm. And is there a different way to look at this and create some space between you and that script? And this right. is, we talk about that process and some of the exercises that you can do in the book. We talk about how you do a little bit of self NET, but also when you're stuck, what are the resources you need to be thinking about? Okay. Let's talk about um, 
the crossword puzzles, the things that people say, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm training my, my, giving my brain health here. Like, am I, is luminosity, you mentioned that, that seems to be okay-ish. Um, yeah. What can we do at home to like yeah. get our brain firing? Um, first of all, um, use your brain. And, you know, I sometimes Keep learning. Like, I, I sometimes feel like, you know, they, your people watching, are brainless. <laughs> you know, I was fortunate enough to have my, uh, you know, um, my, you know, my grandmother in the home when I was growing up and, uh, you know, she was from that sort of, you know, old school, you know, she, she, she lived till 90. She would have lived you know, longer if she wouldn't have fallen, you know what I mean? Yeah, but yeah, her yeah, brain yeah, was do. so good. And she, I don't know, you know, she, you know, she was, you know, from a family of farmers. And I think that, uh, you know, farmers thought in a really practical way. And she would say things like, I have to use my bot, my hands, I have to use my brain, or I'm going to lose them both. So she would like, do her wash by hand, hang things on the line, and all winter long, do, you know, jigsaw puzzles, the crossword puzzles, things like that. And I thought, I don't know if that helps or not. But actually, the data shows that actually we do need to keep using our brain and engaging the brain in new and creative ways. Yeah. And so doing cognitive exercises and doing creative things, that combination will keep your brain in a really good place. It, it my dad, my dad's 96 and he's amazing. Amazing. Does he do these things? He, he's playing the stock market. He's having fun doing that. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I'd be, yeah, that's really great. You know, like, you know, because it makes him think about the different companies and he yeah. like looks at their financials and all those kinds of things. He's yeah. keeping that brain active. One of the things that the mistake that sometimes people make is they retire and then stop thinking about things. Yeah. And that's when you often see a decline. And, you know, there was um, uh, one study done on, um, uh, a small group of people that were engaged in doing these things, puzzles, things like that. This was actually a study on a group of nuns. And that even though there were on brain imaging and brain biopsy, um, the decline, the age-related decline that you often see, the sharpness of the people was better than would be predicted based upon what their brains looked like because what was still there was toned. So do you think that, that it's fair to say then that this past year and a half with, you know, being on COVID pandemic brain, um, we should be, we, we should be kind of nice to ourselves and say, it's okay. It's going to come back. Like, yeah, you're oh, brain, yeah. Like, I, I can't remember names. I'm looking at actors going, I know who that is. I can see them. I can, you know, I know, I know, I know. If I stop thinking, it'll come to me. But while you're thinking about it, you go, how come I can't remember who they are? I can't even remember my own name sometimes. It's crazy, but you know, it comes back. I'm really glad you brought that up because I think that a lot of people, you know, the thing of it is, is one way that we survive, we have all these defense mechanisms that help us to survive. And one of the things we do is we sort of like minimize, oh, this isn't such a big deal. And that's okay that we do that in the moment. Mm -hmm. But the reality is the last year and a half has been a big deal. It has. And the fact that it has distressed you to some degree, that's just normal. And so some of these things that you're talking about are just a distressed, fatigued brain that the answer to it is not to be overly critical, but to how do I be kind to my body and brain? How do I start to nurture it, feed it, do, do nice things, do loving things, you know, I'm a fan of mindfulness uh, meditation. And one of the uh, meditation exercises is called the loving kindness meditation, where you kind of put yourself in a loving kindness place during the meditation, or just doing something really, you know, simple. Um, There's all kinds of just simple two, three, four, five minute exercises you can do to just start the process of reconnecting to yourself in a way that's kind. Mm-hmm. You know, because we got disconnected from ourselves in order to survive. We went into survival mode. Right. We went into that fight or flight mode. Now we need to reconnect so that we can be in that kind restoration recuperation mode. You know, it was interesting when my mom passed away at her funeral, somebody asked me for my phone number and I gave them a phone number I had when I was 12. I couldn't tell you what that phone number is today, <laughs> but it came out and it was like, wow, that's really weird. But everything is in our brain. It's in the subconscious, right? It's all stored there. You can. There's there's much- so much in the brain. And I think that um, when we're in that distressed fight or flight Ooh. mode, then we're really in survival thinking versus the 
versus having as readily uh, being as readily accessible to the re- to the parts of the brain that you're talking about. Yeah, it's so interesting. Okay, aluminum cans. <laughs> yeah, not good. You know, I'm not a fan. Is it Alzheimer's? Is it Alzheimer's? I mean, I'm is not it, a is fan it because because um, you know the thing of it is is we get exposed to a lot of aluminum. You know, in terms of real clinical data, it's soft, but it's enough for me to say I minimize my exposure to aluminum. Get your fillings um, out. But it's not the worst problem with the cans a lot of times. It's the lining of the cans that have all types of toxins, BPA, yeah. things like yeah. that. So it's, it, it isn't just the aluminum itself. It's everything else that that can has in it. And, you know, we know from studies, for example, that, you know, fresh fruits and vegetables um, add longevity to you, except in one large population-based study, people who ate the canned stuff, particularly like canned fruits, it actually had the reverse effect because there's what's in the can, there's what you preserve um, the stuff with before you put it in the can. So what you're what you end up eating is a bowl of chemicals that aren't that great oh for your gosh, body versus like something nutritive. I was, I was three years old, you're old. I think you're old enough to remember uh, Dr. Kildare. <laughs> and there was an episode where somebody had botulism from eating canned green beans. My whole life, I can't eat canned stuff. I was so, scared, <laughs> so traumatized at that. <laughs> I'm traumatized of the smell of walking, of coming home from school and somebody <laughs> cooking canned beets. Oh my God, I think my mother used to make them. The smell of canned beets cooking. I wouldn't eat a beet until I was like 30 years old. And then oh I realized, God, oh, so look, so beets actually can be good. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Oh my gosh. Well, I want to thank you again for, you know, it's an important book. It's, a, it's an important topic and we don't think enough about it. I mean, we worry, I know a lot of people worry about um, a stroke. They worry about, you know, how can I get through that? Um, I had a, I had a friend also a motorcyclist, had a severe, severe motorcycle accident, brain injury, trauma. Um, I think the glaucoma scale was like three, the trunk of wood, they said, they, they thought he was going to go. He came back and he got his master's of education, which is a phenomenal feat. I mean, wow. really, when he had little post-it notes around the name, around his room, my name is, I am, this is, you know, at the beginning of it. And then like a year later goes and gets, it's, our brain is absolutely fabulous. Listen, it is, it is one of the most amazing organs. It's, I remember being in medical school and it was, I was very bored the first half of the first year. And then in the second half of the first year, we did neuroanatomy. Anatomy. We started to learn some of these pathways to the brain and from the brain back down. And I'm like, wow, this is, this is the thing that now really excites me and interests me. And intrigues oh, me. I should ask you about the vagus nerve. Yeah. That's so the big thing coming up nerve, all the time. The vagus nerve is part of that restoration and recuperation. That's the main uh, neurological pathway is through the vagus nerve. And that's why we think about vagus nerve stimulation and things like that. Because, it goes into the gut? Yes. Oh, yes. So the yeah. gut, oh my gosh, the gut has its own nervous system. It's as if there's a separate brain there when it comes to all of the nervous connections, but the, but the vagus nerve also you know, it goes beyond the gut and that is part of the restoration recuperation pathway. And so we're, you know, the vagus nerve is, is very important. And that's why vagus nerve stimulation is part of, uh, uh, some of the up and coming treatments for even, you know, like, uh, some of the severe psychiatric I got, problems. I, and I, I, like, I mean, I found out about it because of chronic pain that it's supposed yes. to alleviate chronic pain and also help people, um, overcome the depression, get off opioids, yes, like all kinds of stuff. Because it puts the nervous system at ease when you stimulate okay. that vagus nerve. Okay. All right. Interesting. So interesting, isn't it? Yeah. yeah I can see how you would stuff. get excited. And, and I love, I, I got the feeling as I read your book that you guys are so different from the rest of the medical community in that you get to really play and be curious. Yes. I find a lot of times medical doc they're not very curious they just this is what we learned this is the way it is and uh, i'm very fortunate i have a doctor who whatever you know if i need something she goes well go find out about it let me know and you know if it's if Love it's that. different if it's you know chinese medicine whatever she goes yeah okay let's, I'll, I'll research it i'll look yeah okay that's cool if it works for you come back and tell me i can tell my other patients i love that like i, I love, love that open and she's not like 
afraid, you know, I'm challenging her knowledge or anything. It's not that it's like, let's work together, right? I know my body, you know, your business. Right, right. I think that's important that people can't just be carte blanche to their doctors and, and say, hey, yeah, oh, you know more than me. So yeah, okay. I mean, you have a brain that and a gut that feels things and knows things subconsciously. I want to end by actually underscoring your point. This point is so important because we have to be proactive with our health. In this country, we've gotten into this mode where we're the passive recipients of healthcare. When there's something that, you know, is a disease process, then we'll go to the doctor. The doctor will say this, we do this, that's it. But that's not health. That's intervening in, in disease. That's disease care. Health and maintaining health and enhancing health is something that you have to be a proactive participant in. That's something that you actually take, take the reins on. And, and so all of the things we're talking about are about health and wellness. And that really isn't what our current medical model is set up for. Otherwise, we wouldn't have such abysmal health outcomes. Yeah. We arguably have the best medicine in the world. People come from all over the world to learn our surgical techniques. We have the best pharmaceuticals for when you really need a pharmaceutical, all of those things. Yet the health status of our country, it's not top 10. It's not top 20. It's not even top 30. Because there is a disconnect between the medical care for acute illnesses that we have and health and wellness. Yeah. Wow. I like that. Thank you for for saying that because it's so true. I mean, I live in Canada, but I agree with you. I know the state of health in in both countries. Right. It's, It's kind of abysmal. And a lot of that is, you know. I don't know what it has to do with. Anyway, thank you. <laughs> Wonderful book, Brain Weaver. It's out. It's May. It's out now. You guys can go and get pick up this book on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, I'm sure, all, all of the usual places. And um, sorry that we missed Dr. Dr. Newberg, but Dr. Monty, you you're a show on itself. So <laughs> thank you. Well, if you want to hear him and I talking about the book more, we also have a website, brainweaver.net, and some of our uh, uh, webcasts that we did together to talk about different topics of the book if people want to hear us a little more or just read the book whatever fascinating you want. <laughs> yeah do both do both do both i'm going to encourage you guys to do both. i'm going to say goodbye to facebook i'm going to stop our live stream okay and i'm just going to stop our recording wonderful job thank you so much oh, it was so good that was fun thank you you're yeah. a delight i really like talking to you today thank you thank you i really appreciate that so i'm going to um like i said i'm going to take it all down and i will send it back all to you maybe not today maybe tomorrow sure. uh, maybe today but who knows? I got to try to ride my bike right now. <laughs> it's a beautiful day. <laughs> beautiful day. Okay. I'll talk to you later. Thanks. Take care. Thank Take you. Care. Bye. Bye.